Let us pray. Father, you truly are our more. Your depths are deeper than the ocean. Your love is greater than we can imagine. Your joy in us coming to you echoes into the heavens. You look down at your people. You see us. You know us. You know the battles that we went through just to get here tonight for some of us. And the battles we go through when no one else can see us. And in those moments, you are our more. You are the greatest strength we could ever find when we are at our weakest. You are the greatest joy we could ever know when we are at our saddest. And when our cups are full, when our faces are radiant before you, you rain down your spirit even more, strengthening us and encouraging us. There are times our souls don't know how to be before you, where all we want to do is run. And there are times where all we want to do is run to you. And there's every moment in between. And the greatest joy that we can know is that in all of those moments, you are there with us. You are always here. You are always available. So we ask you tonight, help us to see you more than we ever have. Help us to hear your word and to believe. Help our souls whatever may be burning us, that we would cast them at your feet with full confidence knowing that we stand forgiven at the cross. Help us, those who are encouraged, those who are able to be a light, would you bless them to be an encouragement on all of us here. But most importantly, Father, we pray that as we read, as we fellowship with one another, as we sing, that we would somehow find joy in your presence like never before. We need you, Father. You truly are our more. Help us to see you that way. Help us to run to you in each and every moment. Bless our time together. Bless this fellowship, this congregation your word, your ministers, your servants, and your people here tonight, and even those who couldn't join us, who are online, and those who just need you now. Make your presence known. Help us to see you, and help us to run to you. In Jesus' night, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Lamentations chapter 3. Picking it up at verse 25, the word of God reads like this. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion. According to the abundance of his steadfast love, for he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. To crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit, the Lord does not approve. Verse 37, who has spoken and it came to pass, unless the Lord has commanded it. It is not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come. Why should a living man complain, a man, about the punishment of his sins? Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. 
Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. You've wrapped yourself with anger and pursued us, killing without pity. You've wrapped yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. You have made us scum and garbage among the peoples. All our enemies open their mouths against us. Panic and pitfall have come upon us. Devastation and destruction. My eyes flow with rivers of tears because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite, until the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes cause me grief at the fate of all the daughters of my city. I've been hunted like a bird by those who are my enemies without cause. They flung me alive into the pit and cast stones on me. Water closed over my head. I said, I'm lost. I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit, and you heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. You've taken up my cause, O Lord. You've redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong done to me, O Lord. Judge my cause. You have seen their vengeance, all their plots against me. You have heard their taunts, O Lord, all their plots against me. The lips and the thoughts of my assailant, assailants are against me all the day long. Behold, they're sitting and they're rising. I am the object of their taunts. You will repay them, O Lord, according to the work of your hands. You will give them dullness of heart. Your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under your heavens, O Lord. The reading of the word of the Lord. Tonight's title is Great Lessons to be Learned. And the, the, the next three things that I hope for us to see, 25 to 39, is great encouragement to wait. Wait on the Lord. Great encouragement to wait. Verse 40 to 54 is great admonition to examine. Great admonition to examine our ways and return to the Lord. Verse 54. 5 to 66 in closing will be great assurance expressed. Great assurance expressed. Let's pray one more time. God, we need great grace right now. We need great alertness and attentiveness. And as was prayed earlier uh, in the time of worship, it wouldn't be surprising if it was it's a great difficulty and effort to get here tonight. But you gave us enough faith to make the effort to be in this place, to open up the Bible, give it our full attention. So we're here before you, God, you right now, and you alone. Only you can take such a provocative, such a wild poem and allow it to make such relevance and sense to us and connect it to Christ that we and all of us would have this true blessed assurance that the poet seems to have in such a breaking point moment of his life. We all want that. We're all hurting people, broken people, walking through a horrific and broken world. And we all got some bruises tonight. We all got some wounds. We all have some scars. And perhaps some soul in this place is really hurting and really suffering. And thank you, Jesus, for giving us a big book and a big book that's not silent about pain. It's not silent about grief. And I pray that the attendance, the hunger, the participation tonight to make observations would, be, would really be because we are a people that are really wanting to learn. So kind of as we give the mic back to the poet right now, we pray that we all would sit well and listen and learn from and through him. Holy Spirit, illuminate the text. Open our eyes to some amazing things from the Bible. Do this, we pray, for your glory and for our joy in Christ. Amen. So, every day when I come home from school, I often ask my son, I often ask my son, what did you learn at school today? Always ask him that. I don't know if that concept has clicked yet in his mind because most times the answer will be, I played. Playtime. And that's great. Playtime. You can learn a lot at playtime. What would you play, buddy? You know, who would you play with? But the reason why I like to ask my son that question all the time, what did you learn at school today, um, it's not just because I want him to be like a good student. I just want him to love learning. I want him to love learning. Um, you ever heard the phrase, learn the hard way? I was going to say, raise your hand if you're that kind of person. You just you got to learn. You know, keep your hands down. I'm that. But no, here's the thing. When you think and reflect upon that phrase, learning, learning the hard way, um, 
you know, you, you might think and connect yourself, oh, I, I got thrown into detention a lot or whatever, um, so therefore I'm a person that learns the hard way. I don't know. Because the question is, is, are you learning? You know, I want my son to love learning. I want to be a person that will learn, and even if it's the hard way. But the question is, is in and through it, are we actually learning? And the question do about loving to learn, because I do think all of us in this place love to learn. You who are here, you're making observations, you're at a Bible study, you know, you, you appear to me as someone who loves learning. But the big question is, because everyone loves to learn when you think about it, um, it's just the question is, what, you love, what do you love to learn? And whatever it is that you love to learn, that's why you put so much screen time on this subject, or you like to watch this or go here. Why? Because you love learning about whatever it is that is. The question, though, is, is that thing, that subject of what you are enthralled in learning, is it worth learning? Is it worth it? I love the phrase, learning the hard way. I do think a lot of true big learning is that always. It's always that. The book of Lamentations is a book like that. It's a poet who has been there, done that, and he has for three poems, three chapters so far, described to us the experience of breaking covenant with God, of of sinning and rebelling and running and doing his own way, not just for himself personally, but as a people, Judah, God's covenant people. Lamentations is bringing to light what happens in Deuteronomy 28, 29, and 30. Blessings of obedience, but cursed of disobedience. But now finally we get to chapter 3, and there's like glimmers of, of hope and restoration and forgiveness. That's chapter 30. That this relationship, this big, big relationship that was broken, and now this people and the poet is in a big pit of despair, much like our world today, The big, big cosmic serious problem is sin and our rebellion against a holy God. And the whole book of Lamentations is a a poetic picture of this is what happens, this is what it feels like when you disobey and when you run and when you rebel from God. And then there's that but. And, And we're starting to see now in this chapter the the turning point. And, and the reason why I started with talking about loving to learn is because this is my fear. We just crossed the most famous verses of Lamentations, probably the only three verses most Christians know. This is my big fear, that because we've reached the mountain peak and we've passed those verses, the steadfast love of the Lord never ends, his mercies, you know, new every morning, great is thy faithfulness, that our attention span is going to start to flicker and phase out. We're not going to want to listen and learn more from this poet. And I want to beg you, don't do that. Stick around for the rest of the book. Because I love, you know, he could have stopped the book right at 324, and it might have been like a happy ending, right? And it would have been a great, awesome description of of his, you know, being cut off and then being brought back by the steadfast love of the Lord. And then pause, pow, let's, let's, let's go. But... He continues to go on, and the rest of this chapter, he overflows with lessons. He's going to teach, he's going to admonish, he's going to encourage all of us, and he's going to give us some real good wisdom for our soul of when we are suffering, when we're in a place of of, of sin and rebellion. Like, okay, he's going to give us now some education. He doesn't just express himself in the poem, and then drops the mic. He expresses himself, and then he's educated. So tonight, great lessons to be learned. I want to plead with you, because literature like Lamentations and Proverbs and Psalms, all those wisdom literatures, those poetic pictures and songs, they are meant, and they have to always be read with the fear of the Lord. Psalm 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Psalm 1, uh, Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of, connects it to the Holy One. Proverbs 1, 5, let the wise hear and increase in learning. So please, please, as we continue now, please, let's not read the rest of this book like most nominal churchgoers read the book of Lamentations. They'll cruise it, find the highlight verses, and then, pow, don't do that. 
Let's kind of nestle back in. And let's be a people who love to glean. You know what gleaning is? I had to look it up because local boys don't know what gleaning is. Gleaning is like when you're going through the fields and you're, fine, and you're just harvesting, you're picking up the crumbs, you're getting everything you possibly could. It's the same attitude that the Canaanite woman had when she said, oh, Lord, yes, you're right, but even the dogs will have the crumbs. I'll take everything and anything. That's the attitude I hope the Spirit produces in this place as we continue on. Because we're going to do big overview, kind of we're going to zoom through it, but I don't want us to get lost, and I don't want us to really not learn the lesson from the poet. So, God help us. Let's listen, learn. And we'll see three lessons that I hope and pray will hit home somewhere for us tonight. So the first chunk that we're going to look at and take is 325 to 39. That's a big chunk. But here's the big picture. Here's the big chunk. We're going to see a great encouragement to wait. Okay, so he says, the Lord is good. That's big already because so far in this book, have you heard the word good yet? No, and guess what? He says it two more times. Good, good, good. This is a change for us that's been here since chapter one, no? It's like the Lord is good. It is good. It is good. That's just noteworthy really quick because in poetry, you want to notice those things. It's a striking contrast from what we've read so far. Everything was so dark. But now he's starting to give a sense of an encouraging word. The Lord, Yahweh, is good to those who wait for him. It is good that one should wait. It is good. Now that's just huge. Because remember the context. He's in suffering right now. This is a lesson he's trying to impart to us, brothers, sisters, friends, in suffering, may the Lord always allow us to come to a place where we see the goodness of God. That's easier said than done. Truthfully, I know that. In your grief, that's why you don't like it when people say, just God is good, keep your head up. When you're hurting. But, by the grace of God, remember this is coming off of chapters of him pouring out his heart. He's come to a place of calling to mind, and then now he's imparting the lesson to us. The Lord is good and he is good to those who wait. Kava, to those who wait, it's a hope. It's a, the way you wait and you keep looking. Because you're excited and you know. Not yet, yet. Nope. Nope. You know, it's the running back and forth to the window and you're looking. That's this word. Oh, Lord, would you let us see the goodness of God. Romans 8, 28. To, to, have, a, to have a mindset that knows that all things work together for the good. You know in Psalm 34, 8, when it says, taste and see that the Lord is, do you know that two verses before that, he's talking about he's in the day of trouble? Oh my gosh, can we see the goodness of God amidst our grief? To see light that peers through dark clouds. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. This is the big first lesson he's going to try to put out there this poet, and this is a hard lesson, right? Because none of us like to what? No, but honestly, none of us like waiting, right? I went to go pick up a coffee the other day. I won't say where, but the line was major long, and I just had a moment with my shades on so it didn't look weird. I just decided to look at everyone's faces in line. <laughs> just try to do that when you pick up or when you're in a long line and you're waiting and you're hurting. Just see, just look around. And you know what's crazy? Every time the next person comes up to the cash register, they say, oh, thank you so much for your patience. Or thank you so much for waiting. Well, thank you so much for your patience. And in my mind, when they go up there, I was like, they wasn't patient. <laughs> There's a big difference between just kind of waiting and then waiting well. This is what I think the poet is going to try to argue in this big chunk from 25 to 39. It's not just a, it's not an encouragement. Waiting on the Lord is not just like stoic sit. That's not how you apply this text. Just wait. That's not waiting. Look, look, I'll show you. Those who wait for him. Now look at, look at, he teaches us. The soul who seeks him. In our waiting, our souls are seeking. What do you think he's been doing the whole chapter? He's been seeking the Lord. 
He's been pouring out his heart. This is another description of what it looks like to wait on the Lord, church. So if you're hurting this evening, if you're in a circumstance that's really hard, wait on the Lord, but it doesn't mean stoic sit. It means seek your soul, the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait. Now, this kind of threw me into a world because it says wait quietly. And I'm, I'm thinking, it, I think this is Jeremiah. But Jeremiah, quietly. How quiet was you, cuz? You haven't been waiting quietly. So is this like, what does this mean? I don't think it literally means that you should wait quietly and don't say nothing. Otherwise, he would have to, he contradicts himself in the whole book. And he shouldn't keep going on for two more chapters. I do think it does, it does mean, though, that there is a time to cry and there is a time to be silent. Like what Brother Victor was talking about earlier in observation. The poet's not going to take back all the previous chapters and poems, but what he is saying is wait and wait quietly. There's a something about let him sit in silence, let him put his mouth in the dust, let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, meaning don't just react, don't just be impulsive. You know, it's hard to wait. What do you not want to do? Be quiet. That's why when I was waiting for my coffee, I was like this. You ever have to wait for the bathroom? And you just got to let the person in there know, I'm waiting. You accidentally try to, oh, I didn't see that. I said it was occupied. Right? You just have to make some noise. Right? We, we struggle with waiting and waiting quietly, waiting well. This is what I think he's trying to teach us. He's trying to show us how to wait well. And some of those, and, and the big, big thing, when we get to the big part, of, big picture of it, is why? Because he's worth the wait. Okay? That, when we get there, that's why. So, so, the poet is telling, it is good to wait on the Lord, but he, I think, knows that that's not going to be good enough for the, for the reader. It's not good enough for me. When somebody just says, hey, just wait. Why? You know? <laughs> well, he says, it is good. It is, the, the Lord is good to those who wait. It's going to be worth it for you to, to read, hurt and, and, and carry yourself through this man, woman. It's going to be worth it. He's going to be worth it. Wait for him. It is good. That's a big word. He says three times. The question is, you believe it? Do I believe it? I believed the coffee was going to be worth it, so I stood and stuck it out. Yes, please give me my chai tea latte. That's what I've been waiting for. You know, I believed it was worth the wait. The, the thing here is, though, is, oh, do we believe the Lord? This is a great encouragement to wait. Wait for the Lord and to wait well. Verse 31, he says, wait on him. Why? Because he's going to come through. He's not going to cast off forever. When do you and I struggle to really wait for someone? When we don't think they're going to what? Come through? You don't, you're questioning if they're really going to show up. That's when you start to like, am I getting stood up or what? I quit already. No, maybe, maybe five more minutes, right? But you're struggling because you're not sure if they'll come through. You're there. The poet is pleading with us in poetry. Wait on him. He's worth the wait. And wait on him. He'll come through, verse 31. So be patient when you struggle. If you're struggling tonight to wait on the promises of God, to wait on him to show up in your life the way the Bible said he would, wait. He will come through. Why do you think the Bible ends with verses in Revelation 22, 20 to 21, the last verses of our Bible? What does Jesus say? I am coming soon. Amen, Lord Jesus, come. The Spirit and the bride say, come. But Jesus wants to just make it clear to us, church, and all this is everything my soul needs. I'm coming. This Jesus we sang to this evening that we worship right now in the study of the word and the fellowship of the saints He's real. We're not just worshiping a make-believe God, and we're not just praying into thin air. Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, risen, ascended, is coming again. He's really real, and he's really coming. So wait. Wait. And every time in our souls we doubt and we fight, we call it to mind. Wait on him. He's coming through. Verse 32 to 33, I love it. He gives words like, Though he cause grief, he'll have compassion. Though he breaks us down, he's going to build you up. 
according to his steadfast love. In other words, wait on him because he cares, man. He really cares. He's not going to cast off forever. He's going to come through, and he cares. He doesn't just afflict from his heart, meaning he doesn't just, God doesn't have this heart that wants to hurt you. And it's hard to remember that and know that when we're getting spankings, yes? When the Lord is disciplining us, yes? That's why when children get scolding or spankings or discipline, it's difficult, but there needs to be a, a learning lesson that mommy, daddy are correcting me, reminding me, warning me for my good because they care and love me. That's the big thing. I wonder if it's really hard for some of us to be waiting on the Lord right now because we just don't, we're struggling to believe that. Will you come and will you care? Well, I want to encourage you this evening and remind you from the word of God, he will come and he does care. He cares more than you and I would ever imagine. And he has his ways and his reasonings of why you're in this season for, for as long as it is and why you're suffering the way you are and why you're not delivered from that particular sin just yet. I just want to encourage you. Wait. Verse 34 to 39. Wait on him because he's just. Right? He's, he's, he's depicting a God who, you know, crush prisoners, deny justice, subvert lawsuit. No, the Lord's not like that. He does not approve. He is a righteous and just God. Because right now, Jeremiah the prophet, he's being abused. Babylon is really messing Judah up. And they're crying out, though they know they deserve it because of their sins, but they're kind of like, but so all this injustice, turn the news on, and if you get angry and upset because of all the injustice that's going on because of sin, know this, God will take care of it. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Wait for me. Hold on. Don't try to take matters into your own hands and try to fix it your way. I got this. I got this. All the political turmoil you, that just weighs you down, God's got this. All the wrong that was done to you this day, this week, that you feel and think nobody else knows what he or she did to me, what my boss did to me, what my family's done to me, God knows, and he's got this. This is what will help us wait and wait well and not just react and just be impulsive. So here's the big thing in this big part. It's, you know, a great encouragement. The poet is trying to teach us, wait well, wait on him. Wait on the Lord. Don't give up. He will come. He cares. He's full of compassion, and he's in control. And here's the tension, and I know it's in here. Because whatever it is the Lord has called you or telling you to do this evening that you've been struggling with, you're saying, I don't like wait. Express that in your prayer. Father, it's hard to wait right now. I'm running out of patience. You know what patience is? In the Greek dictionary, long-suffering. Suffer long. Choke, local people. Choke suffering. Choke, bus up. But here's the thing. Patience or waiting, waiting well, is, it's an amazing virtue. And it's not just a stoic or salty like, oh, no. You're waiting and you're seeking and you're clinging to the attributes of who you know God to be. He does love. He does care. He will come through. I will wait. You wake up, same circumstance. He does love me. He does care. He will come through. I will wait on him. That's what it means to wait. Oh, the Lord is good to those who wait. Don't doubt it. Just urging. The next time we're feeling, but I don't like Isaiah the prophet says, he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Youth shall faint and grow weary. Young men shall be exhausted. But they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles and they will run and not be weary and not be faint. In our suffering, in our recovery, learn this great lesson, wait on the Lord. Just wait. Verse 40 to 54, big chunk, 
Verse 40, he says, let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us test, search, examine. It's a careful investigation kind of word. It's the Proverbs 2, 4. It says, if you seek it like silver, search for it like hidden treasure. Right? That's what this word means to test. So test yourself. Examine your ways. That's a heavy Hebrew word where it means to explore, to search, to discover. You're probing to, tr- to acquire information. That's some like, deep, like, detective kind stuff. What are we testing and examining? Our ways. Judah, test and examine your ways. How did you, and why did you get here? Think about it. Think about it. Don't just boohoo and cry, I'm hurt because of what I did. Like, no, okay, no, stop. Think about it. This is a huge lesson if we can learn this. The, the point is a great examination of our ways. I don't think, I don't think in our Christian sanctification, in your journey as a believer, we don't examine ourselves as we ought. Look at these two words, to test and examine, to investigate, to search for like hidden treasure. When's the last time you sat and thought, hey, do this. This is what I'm doing. At the end of my days when I'm lying in bed and I'm reflecting, I reflect on my whole day. And I think of what I did, where I went, why I went, all the choices, the decisions I made. This is the great lesson and admonition. Examine yourself. Psalm 77, consider the days, remember, let me meditate in my heart, let my spirit, and then my spirit be made a diligent search. Psalm 139, 23, uh, search me, O God, know my heart, try me, test me, see, see what's going on in here. You see, in our suffering and in our pain, when you're in that funky space that you don't want to be, wait and wait well, but here also do this, examine. Like, that's huge wisdom. Like, think about how you got here. Count the cost. Count the consequence of our parenting parents. How and why have I parented this way, and this is the cause and effect. In our husbanding and wifing, I don't even know if that's a word, in our marriages. (laughs) The way that we relate. Think of all the things in your life right now. This is the moment in that space when you're silent and you're stilling yourself. Examine your ways, but here's the, here's, the, here's the full lesson. Examine your ways and what? Return to the Lord. That's a beautiful, beautiful verse right there. And it's so true. Because we often examine our ways and examine our thoughts and our steps, and we see we've stepped out of bounds, and we got to repent and turn to the Lord. See, there's a... There's something about examination, verse 40. It's a, it's a reflection that leads to repentance. You see that? Don't just think critical about your life and think about all the choices you made. And wow, that was, that was some good introspection. That felt good. No, no, that's not what the, the poet's teaching us. Examine our ways and return to the Lord. Christian, how do we do that? How do we, re- how do we return to the Lord? The cross of Christ. So, verse 40, a reflection that leads to repentance. Verse 41, a searching that leads to surrender. You see that? Lift up my hearts and hands. I love that. So I love that word that sis brought up in observation time of surrendering. 42 to 54, it's a confession that humbly admits, I need help. You see that? We have transgressed and rebelled. Notice in the poem right now, he went from the, uh, speaking in the first person to now corporate. He went from I, I, me, me, my, my, now we. There's a shift. There's a pivot here. The poet is now teaching, and he's showing. He's, we have transgressed and rebelled. He's putting himself in that group. I love that. He's not like standing at a distance and looking at Judah and being like, you have. No, we have. But look at what he's doing. He's owning. He's confessing. He's leading them off in confession. He's modeling it for them. Chapter 3 is a powerful chapter. He's an example You have, I, and then he gets to the place at the end, I'm lost. See, 
as we examine our ways, we quickly come to a place of realizing, yeah, man, I'm a sinner. I've made some big mistakes and choices, and I've rebelled, and I'm lost. But you see, we, don't, we won't really come to these clear, putting our finger on our sin and identifying who we are and where we're at unless we learn the art of stilling ourselves. Waiting. Reflecting. Thinking. This is why these devos to go won't really be so good for you in the long term. If you really want to get a good, clear assessment of what's going on in here and how the Spirit of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ can really make some ground here, you got to be a person. we got to be people who learn how to be still and know. Try to go take a picture of a sunset out of your car while you're driving 65 miles per hour. Just try. You probably could get a good one because you guys are so good at that. Everyone's, everyone's a videographer nowadays. But for me, that thing would just be like blur. If you want to get a real good picture, you got to what? Stop the car. Get out of the car. Get to the, to the sand. Steady your hand. Right? Still yourself. This is what it looks like to examine our ways. In closing, last cluster of verses. Verse 55 to 66. I call on your name. I love that. You see the flow of this? He's examining. He's realizing where he's at. I'm lost. I need help. Maybe that's where you're at this evening. Maybe that's where you're at in your journey right now. Maybe that was, that's what God has been doing through our study and lamentations. Is He's been really shining light and kind of exposing, as you've been expressing yourself, really where you're at. And I love that the poet puts this in. He says, verse 55, I called... Karah, I cry loudly on your name, O Lord. This is big. Your name. That means something. Not just a name. He's not just crying out for a general God. No, Yahweh. That is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the one true God. It's the God who made promises to his people from the garden to now. The Lord. This is prayer. When he's calling on the name of the Lord, he's calling upon the character of God. Everything he's been saying in the chapter. Your steadfast love. Your mercy. He's reflecting on Deuteronomy. He says, yes, we've cursed. Uh, we've sinned. We've disobeyed and we're cursed now. But chapter 30, there's forgiveness. If we repent. I love this stuff. This is a great lesson to learn as we still ourselves and wait and stop and slow down and start examining ourselves and seeing the real nature of the problem. And then we call to the one, the only one who can do something. You notice how in his whole poem, he's going back and forth and he's angry at God and this at the odd. And God is, he almost, if you just read it, if you take some verses out of context, it looks like he's indicting God for being abusive and judgmental and just harsh, right? You read certain parts, you're like, whoa. Even in the scripture reading, when I was reading, I, I, I glanced out there. There's some of us who are like, oh, this is what God's doing? And he's doing it because he's a just God and he must punish sin. But that same God is the only God who could do something about that very sin. So I love it. I, I see this picture of a kid who's like, I, you know, getting disciplined by a parent. And initially, I don't, I hate you. You don't love me. And after a good cry and coming to their senses, they realize the only one person that they want to carry them is mommy and daddy. This is that beautiful moment. I call on the name of the Lord. This is where he's calling from. The depths of the pit. The depths of the pit. The Hebrew word is low, lower, lowest. It gets worse, worse, worse. 
You rock bottom this evening? You in a place right now that seriously feels beyond redemption? Oh, I pray the Spirit of God strengthens you with such a verse. He's calling from the depths of the pit. From the lowest point. And then it says, you heard my plea. I called and you answered. He answered, church. Glean from this poet. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. And you said, do not fear. Oh, breathe that in. Just what he needed to hear. You've taken up my cause. Oh, Lord, you've redeemed my life. You know why there's such a big verse? Because I think you know and I know it's so frustrating when you try to call someone and they don't answer. You know that frustration? You're trying to, you're trying to speak to someone and you're not getting through, right, on the phone. Sorry, again? Sorry, I didn't hear you. Sorry, what? You're like fed up already. We all know that frustration. You're trying to communicate something to someone, and they're hearing you, but they're not hearing you. You know that frustration? Where you call, you try, and you're just not getting through. Not here. I called, he answered. He heard my plea. He took up my cause. This is a great entreaty to trust in the Lord, call upon his name. This is why when you're not being heard, it hurts. And this is why when someone is a really good listener, you just like to be around them because they hear you. Oh, friends, family, church, God is here and he hears you. If you've been hearing anything through this study and lament, it's first look to the Lord, go to him, Wait on him. He will come through and he'll hear your cry. I love, I love that he says, you've taken on my cause and you've redeemed my life. You can almost feel it when you read it. Like there's, there's like an exaltation in his voice, right? Like I called from the depths. You heard. You came. You, 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 you said don't fear. You took up my cause. You redeemed. Like, don't you see the shift right now in the poet's heart? It was so dark earlier. And now he's trying to impart something to us. I know you're hurting. I know it's hard. Wait. Examine. And call. The poet is crying out to the rock, the God of Judah, salvation. And we tonight know New Testament Believers, who is, what's the name of the Lord? What's his name? Jesus, the rock of our salvation. His name is Jesus. This is the Lord the apostles preached of, Acts 2, 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What's that name? This Jesus that Peter's preaching in his sermon, who came and lived perfectly and sinlessly and then he died. He absorbed. He took on the full wrath. He's the real man of sorrows. He's the man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And he took it all on for you and me in our, in our place. And he stayed it. He stuck it out. He hung on the tree. He bled it out, suffered and died and did not stay dead. He broke free in resurrection. And he ascended on into glory and he calls everyone everywhere, repent and trust in me, call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. That's Acts chapter 4, verse 13, 12. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. 
This is the great encouragement and lesson to learn in our suffering. Have we, have you called upon the name of the Lord? Will you? Will we have this blessed assurance? I love Lamentation. This is not a boring book. It's a book that tells a story after, uh, of, of low lost sinners being rescued and redeemed by the, by the loving Savior. And this all, that's why you can't, we can't, well, we can't read Lamentations without the greater context of the whole Bible. Because all of this culminates and climaxes in the person of Christ. We're all bus up here. And we're all needing a space to lament. But we all need to look to someone who, the, the only one who can actually do something. And that's Jesus. So, as we bring this chapter to a close, as we look to Christ and acknowledge your condition, like, look, examine, remember that. Examine your ways. Return to the Lord. Meditate on his promises. And then come to a place of entreating, calling, crying out to him, trusting in him. This, now, as we kind of get to the later half of the book, we're starting to learn the full language of lament. When we get to the end of the book, something I want to do together is kind of like workshop style and give you guys a chance to write and process your own prayers of lament. So now that we've finally kind of arrived to chapter 3, I think we're starting to see all those elements. I, I like to break it down in my mind like this. I use the acronym LAMET. I just lament without the N. But L is look to the Lord. That's the first thing you do. You look to the Lord. A is you acknowledge where you're at. Just be honest about it. And then M, you meditate. Meditate on his promises and who he is. And then E, you entreat. You beg, you plead, you cry out, and then T, you trust. So I'll just put that out there now because when we finish the whole book, what I want to do is kind of go through those points to, to overview, and, but then I, I would love for you to begin to start to write your own prayers of lament. But as we close and in prayer, just want to encourage us because I do think there's so much lessons to be learned in this whole chapter um, that I just want to encourage us in some practical ways. This is why, church, if you join us on Sunday, when we have uh, once a month the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper, we have that, the ordinance, the bread and the wine, and we don't, well, the juice, okay. Um, but that, those are, that's a great opportunity to practice what we've been learning tonight, to come and examine yourselves, examine ourselves. The Lord's Supper. Also, every Lord's Day, we have a time of prayer of confession. It's a short window but those are ways as a body we can cultivate this type of practice. Um, but I really, really would encourage you guys um, in your devotional times, if you don't have them, try to make space for them. But really give yourself some space to really start to test and examine yourself and return to the Lord. Like I really want that to hit home. You know, learn to reflect in such a way that it leads you to repentance. Anyway, we'll, we'll pause here. We have two more poems to go, and um, I'll pray. There's Cami's Coco. But even in the midst of fellowship, I really want to keep encouraging, because I do think we're growing as we study through this book together, um, to, to, to use this time to, to lament with each other, ask each other how we're doing, be honest with each other, ask questions, pour out your hearts to each other, and go to God in his presence. I love seeing people praying together. Um, but let me, let me pray, and we'll, we'll, we'll sing out, and um, we'll be good. Father, thank you so much for another chunk of this very needed book um, in the life of our church, but in, in our own lives as individuals. Lord, we pray that we would be a people that know how to learn the hard way so that in hardships of life, we actually make gains, um, that they would truly be teachable 
moments, even if they're tough. We don't want to be a people, and we confess we are, that repeat the same mistakes again and again, just like Judah. But the solution and the call to come and return to you is always the same. And so tonight, let tonight be a night where as we sing now, we cry out, we call out to the Lord, the only one who can save. So lead us as we sing out and fellowship together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Where else do we have to turn to but to our Lord? And how great it is that we have him to turn to. In the good and the bad, set our eyes upon you, Lord. In your name, amen. Enjoy the fellowship. Enjoy the kaukau. Be blessed. <laughs>